Welcome to The Scent, a podcast dedicated to international horror and genre films. I'm Mikey P. Jr., and with me I have... John Patterson, a.k.a. Astroslav. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here, man. So, the theme for this week is Neo Giallo. Now, one of them, The Last Matinee, is a Uruguayan film set in an antique movie theater, while the other, Knife Plus Heart, is a French film surrounding the production of a gay pornographic film. Now then, let's start off with The Last Matinee. So, John, take it away with the production information. Okay, so The Last Matinee is a, I believe, joint Uruguayan and Argentinian production. It is directed by Maximiliano Contenti. Um, I don't have the cinematographer pulled up because I'm a goober. Give me a second. Cinematography is by Benjamin Silva. And uh, yeah, that's what I got. Mm, Not bad, not bad. So I'm going to hit you guys with a quick little, um, just a logline for this film, since there wasn't really much on Wikipedia. The synopsis, or the logline goes, On a stormy night in Montevideo in 1930, sorry, not 30s, <laughs> in 1993, an engineering stu- student named Anna takes over the duties of her father, a, project- a projectionist, when we do that, a projectionist at a declining movie theater due to, his Ill, due to his ill health. Unbeknownst to her, the audience watching the film that she is running are being murdered by a black-gloved killer. So this was uh, my pick for the week, and um, so I'm just going to give you guys on just this film, I think. I, have, I had a blast with it, you know, like, I think I heard about, uh, I heard about it through uh, Bloody Disgusting, because I think they're, like, they helped bring the distribution bites, rights over here to America, and ever since I heard about it, I was, like, super excited, and then when I watched it, like, I was just happy with it, like, it's, it's, it's a nice little throwback to Giallo, which, um, I'm gonna preface right now, I'm not a big, um, I don't know much about it, so, like, that's just, <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping John can help me out with a lot of this stuff, but, um, I like them. I just haven't had a chance to watch them. So here we are. Anyways. Um, yeah. So <laughs> the um, the last matinee, I just thought it was really fun. The cooler was really cool. I'm sorry. The killer was really cool. I, I liked his little signature kill move. And like it was just, and per usual, you know, there's a lot of cool lights, cool music. And I just think it's a really, it's just a really well done uh, modern giallo film. John, what did you think? Because I know this is your first time, first time watching it. Yeah, I hadn't seen this movie before. I had heard of it. I know you've talked about it. I think you wrote a review for it for film credit if i'm not mistaken yes and uh i was aware of it but i just hadn't i think the first time i heard it was same thing bloody disgusting i think they were part of the production group for it you know where they helped uh, produce the film or at least bring it stateside or something and uh i thought it was a neat little uh neo giallo that uh had a mean streak like a mile wide wide that i wasn't really expecting when i started the movie a lot of times when it comes to these sort of throwback films you see a lot of uh I guess, like, self-referential stuff that tends towards the more, you know, like, cutesy side where it's like, hey, look at this, it's a giallo, haha, but this is just, like, a straight-up, we made a giallo in 2020 in Uruguay, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And uh, yeah, I think the pacing in this movie is actually phenomenal. I like how long it takes for it to get to them realizing that there's a killer there. I like the mystery as they try to find them and the disparity between what the audience knows and what the character knows. I think that stuff is handled really well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's main stuff from a Jalo where, you know, you're yelling at the characters because you know they're in a bad spot or you know more than they do. And that happens a lot during this movie. And there's like a flurry of sequences that do it extremely well. And overall, I thought it was a yeah. nice little throwback. Yeah. And having that uh, that film within a film kind of mirror what was happening in the film was also nice. So overall, like 
I just enjoyed it. So it's just an enjoyable little film. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, just to tackle on to talking about the uh, slow burn, I did get to catch a uh, interview um with a director, and he mentioned like he obviously like wanted the slow burn, and I think like um before like editing and everything, he said that the film was like ten minutes longer because um he wanted to capture the like slowness of the '90s because you know it's like less technology driven and like you like you know what i mean it was just it was a time where like you actively had to like watch what was around you and stuff and like just really soak it all in but i guess he had like a little bit of a i don't want to fight but like the producers were like nah we, we gotta cut out 10 minutes and um i still gotta say though like i really did enjoy the slow burn of this because it really does like you really do get to know these characters and that's one thing i really liked about it was that a lot of these characters like i felt like i've seen them before like in my movie going experience you know and beyond that, I think that a lot of the characters beyond a movie-going experience, it reminded me of, like, I know I'm not that old, but it reminded me of being younger and going and fucking off and seeing a movie with your mm-hmm. friends, especially the three friends that go there mm-hmm. together on the bus. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. the one guy, and he's looking out for her as he calls her Brooke Shields because she looks like him, and they're just cutting up, <laughs> and they don't even really care what movie they went to see. They just went to, you know, like, get away, have a drink, watch a movie, whatever. And, like, it's got that kind of, like... Mm-hmm almost a nostalgia to it and you know i wasn't this old in the 90s like these characters yeah, are in this totally. movie but like there is definitely a weird nostalgia for that sort of theater experience that you know you don't get as often anymore especially mm-hmm. where i live when there's not a whole lot of theaters around so it was just it was it's very pleasant mm-hmm. in that way yeah totally that nostalgia like 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 obviously i'm a little younger than you so like i i related more to the little kid because um it reminded me a lot of so this was like maybe late 2000s. I remember my friend and I, we went to go try to go watch District 9 and it was rated R, obviously. And we were like maybe 13 at the time. So we go up to go buy the tickets and the guy was like, all right, two tickets. Um, Can I see your IDs? And my friend was like, oh, no, man, you see, I left my wallet in my house and like we came, we took the bus. Like, can you just do it? And he was like, no, nah, man. And we we're just like, seriously? And like, he didn't want to do it, you know, but we we're like, whatever. So I think we got tickets for whatever like kid show they were doing and we like snuck in. And I don't know, I just like, I got that like nostalgia feel of um just being able to like sneak in into these um, movies. And it was like an AMC, so it was like a big movie theater. So we also got those like employees who didn't really care what they were doing like inside, you know? Yeah, like they're not getting paid enough and, to give a fuck what movie you're at. Like, what's going to happen? Yeah, exactly. If you exactly. go to the movie you're and, not supposed to watch. Yeah, and like he even says that, like uh, the uh, character in the film even says that he's like, I don't even get paid enough. And he lets the, like, I imagine the old man is unhomed. I'm not too sure, but like he looks all like he's trying to hide from him and he's just like, So you're going to dip or no? And he just kind of lets him be there. Yeah, I thought that was a nice touch that he just kind of left him alone there. Like, yeah. it seems like the theater wasn't, you know, doing that well to begin with and they weren't worried about packed screening. So, like, they didn't give a shit about whether he was there or not. But it's also yeah, the, totally the, old, um, the old guy seemed to really enjoy movies, too. Like, he was watching them. He wasn't just sleeping there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, um, yeah, I think he mentions that, like, I've seen this one already. So, like, let me just stay for the next one or some shit like that. I don't know. It, it was a nice little touch, though. Like, it was, like, it, it really does capture that, like, that old, like, cinema experience. And um, I, I know he's he's mentioned that. Like, this is essentially a love letter to cinema, which I thought was great. Because, like, I'm, I'm sure you noticed, like, all the different references throughout the, the big uh, movie theater hall with the movie posters. Yeah, like... Uh, like, uh, there was a opera, an opera and poster. stuff like that. Yeah, that's the one that stuck out to me. That's the one mm-hmm. I noticed. I, there was a couple more. I can't remember what they were, but I see that opera poster, and, you know, that's a that's just a great, mm-hmm. iconic they poster. Had, like, yeah, like, you can easily tell, like, right away. Like, that's a, that's one of the few Giallo films I've seen, too, and 
pretty great too but yeah like that one was super noticeable just because of her face and stuff and i think they had like a uh i'm assuming it was like a uruguayan um robocop because it uh it was like the title was titled um like metal cop or something like when you when you translate it did you see that guy yeah no, I didn't. <laughs> that, that could be just yeah. robocop but like it could be too, yeah. Um, no one was know. next to the. It could be. I, I honestly don't know about that either. Um, he did mention though, like uh, in the interview, that there was like a dinosaur poster, and then that one's supposed to be like some like Land Before Time from Uruguay or something like that. That's awesome. Um, but speaking of which, when I did tweet out this, um, like my review, the director um, Contenti did he retweeted me, and he's like, "Oh, did you guys catch that uh Plaga? Oh no, it was when I did the Plaga Zombie thing for Dread Central." And he was like, did you guys catch my uh, Plaga Zombie ref- um, reference? And so I was actually like scanning the backgrounds and I found it. Did you happen to see it or no? No, I didn't. What is it? Yeah, it was, it's the poster for uh, the second one, Zona Mutante. And um, it's when um, during the restroom scene where the one guy who was like early 20s, I imagine, um, you know, gets his little hand job and he goes to uh, to go wash it off. <laughs> yeah. So, as, yeah, as soon as he walks out of the restroom, um, if you look to the left, you can see the poster. And I was like, dude, that's fucking dope. <laughs> Yeah, no, I didn't notice that. I'm going to have to go back and see that because that's awesome. I'm glad yeah. there's an odd to it. And we covered those earlier in this podcast series. So it's a really good callback, honestly. And yeah, we're going to so get into more check out those episodes. ejaculatory fluids throughout the course of this episode as well. Because uh, we're going Surprisingly. to today. <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought about that, yeah. actually. I watched these movies, you know, like I told you, about 24 hours apart at night because I switched to day shift. Mm-hmm. So I can't double feature stuff like I usually do. And uh, mm-hmm. that just that was lost on me. I for, <laughs> it's kind of a funny little parallel there, as well as both being neo jalos. They both handle themselves in different ways. But yeah. I think this film pl- is what I most appreciate is what I said earlier. It plays itself as a straight jalo. It has references and it has love for the genre, but it it's not cute about it. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. And I, you know, what, let's talk about just the subgenre a little bit, just because like it, it's not really. I mean, it's big within like the horror community, but I'm, I'm sure there's other people who like don't really know too much about it. Like as far as I'm, as far as I know, it's like it's from Italy, right? And they call it yellow because of the color, I imagine, right? Something like that because it's yellow or I don't have it, and it's just like up. a bunch of like murder mysteries or something. I'm I don't have sure. it pulled up right now, but from what I can recall, oh. and please correct me if I'm wrong, but what I remember because I did a bunch of research on this because in Italian class I did a. a presentation on it like 12 years ago now and uh it's called giallo because it's it's basically like these crime novels that were released in italy in like the 50s and 60s and they had yellow covers or something like that and that's why it's called giallo yeah, it's reminiscent of those and it's the color yellow ended up being associated with you know like killer stories and stuff like that and that's how it ended up being called mm-hmm. giallo and then you had films from people like Umberto Lenzi and Mario Bava and Dario Argento and a couple Fulci flicks and just like a, a raft of very talented directors. And I'm sure I'm forgetting one and someone's yelling at me right now, but like that, those are the first ones that come to mind for me at least. And so you have all mm-hmm. these really talented directors making these films and it became, you know, kind of like a precursor to the slasher here in America. But, you know, there's different stylistically and aesthetically mm-hmm. in ways that are interesting. And from what I remember too, like Jellos aren't like as gory i guess you can say right compared to like the american slashers because we'll say that like the gore in here is like very um it could just be too because it's a neo giallo but it, it's like very like in your face with the gore in this one um i wouldn't say that because some of the giallos oh, okay. are the classic i don't know, I don't know. That's what I'm saying, like, 
Yeah, like gotcha, if you gotcha. go back that's and watch, what I'm saying. Like, like I haven't seen too many of them, but yeah, if you go back go and it. watch like Tenebrae or like Lucio Fulci's uh, uh, New York mm-hmm. Ripper or something like that, yes, they are extremely gory and extremely violent. But you know, gotcha, it's all part gotcha. of the fun. And now there's probably someone yelling at me like, "How could you have not seen those?" And I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. This hey, is why I'm working on it. <laughs> everybody watches their own things, and you know, some people aren't as well versed in stuff as other people, and that's okay. That's when you just say, "Hey, you like it? Here are more movies." exactly and I'm, I'm working on it man like because like i said i have seen a few like i got the uh for the forgotten jello set from vinegar syndrome because i saw they actually had two films from spain and that was actually pretty cool is and, it uh um, corruption of chris miller one of those or is that a single release uh, uh that's a single release but that's another one that i do want to cover one of these days with you because i i sure you'll, you'll really dig it there's some really cool stuff in that one too yeah i'm totally down and yeah. i haven't seen that one so it'd be a good episode fuck yeah so there you guys have it. It's coming up soon. Well, not soon, but one of these days. <laughs> Next choice is mine, so you can't um, take that from me. Yeah, I won't take it. I won't take it. Um, <laughs> uh, as, we, as we're still talking about the technical aspects, like one thing I really liked about this film was, um, so I love the fact that, like, so we're watching a movie um, that's in Spanish, while the people in the audience of the film are watching, um, which, by the way, they're watching Frankenstein Day of the Beast which is by um, a director in Uruguay as well. I believe his name is Ricardo Iglesias or Islas. Um, but yeah, so they're watching a movie in English and I don't know, it just felt like super meta to me because like, you know what I mean? Like we're watching like, you know, I don't even know if that movie is technically foreign because it was in English, but I know he's from like, uh, so that director, he I think he did like, the, I don't know, you know I, I didn't do too much research, but I know he's from um, um, Uruguay, so Uruguay. Uh, so. I was actually going to ask if that film was shot for this film or if it was a previous film. So that's good information to have. Yeah, yeah, it's a previous film because I believe that one came out. Like uh, I did, like I said, did a little bit of research when I was doing my review. Let's see, that one came out like in 2012-ish. Yeah, 2011. So yeah, so it's just a random old movie that he wanted to pick up. And um, did you know that too? Um, so the masked uh, killer, um, which is called Asesino Comeojos, he's actually played by the director of that film, Ricardo Islas. <laughs> I did not actually know yeah. that. That's yeah. that's that adds some layers I wasn't expecting. See, this is why I like doing this episode, these episodes, because a lot of times, like yeah, we so pick our like... movies, we prepare more than the other person on the on it, because like I want to be surprised too. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really cool thing. And actually, that film within a film looked like something I would totally just watch, if given the chance. Didn't it look so badass? Yeah, <laughs> I kind of want to track it down. Um, if you do ever buy the, uh, I think it's from Vinegar Syndrome. Um, it comes with. So, like, you get that one for free if you buy the uh, the last matinee film through Vinegar Syndrome. Oh, that's excellent. So, yeah, if you're, because I, I know you're into those too. So, if you want to decide to buy one, but it costs it, so much money. I know, I know. That's so why I usually wait for the, um, for the, what's it called, for the sales, because it's a lot of money. <laughs> but then it takes so long to ship and I get impatient. No, I feel you, dude. I feel you. Trust me. I had to wait like months for, for this year's, for like the two, three films I ordered. <laughs> ah, it happens. They're doing their best. Yeah, I'm not actually upset. No, no, yeah, I mean they're. No, no, I know. Um, they're they're really cool. Like uh, from what I've seen, like they're really good with their. Yeah, you guys are doing great. Let's see. So back Um, to the movie. Yeah, I guess we. Yeah, back to the last matinee. I guess we could just start talking about um, like just the killer. Like I just thought he was so badass, dude. Like he's just very um intimidating, and I think they did um the contenti did a great way on um just showing us like how disgusting he is <laughs> with that first scene where we see him and he's like sticking his bare hands in this like jar of um i'm assuming it's like vinegar and i 
so I'm assuming it's olives at the at the first time I thought it was olives, but once you see the film, you realize that Asesino Come Ojos is translated to assassin eye eaters. It's probably just a big old jar of eyeballs, and he's just like dipping his um his bare hands in there. And then just did you notice down. though? Yeah, and then he puts on his gloves afterwards. Like, okay, shouldn't you have done that beforehand? But whatever. No, nah, he wants to feel it. He wants yeah, to exactly. feel it. Well, he's eating it at that point. Like, why put something in your yeah, yeah. Why put a glove on to touch something you're going to put in your mouth? Like, honestly. <laughs> I mean, they were brand new gloves, though. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> I think. I mean, I, I personally wouldn't stick. What's up? No, you say what you're saying. No, I was going to say, I personally wouldn't stick like, my bare hands in a part in a jar of um, um, like pickle juice or whatever, because I mean, I also hate pickles, but that's. Oh, okay. Well, we're different. Not relevant at the time. That's me tipsy at two in the morning, just fishing pickles straight out the jar. But uh, no, I think they did a really good job of making uh, Islas' killer very menacing without having to do a lot of work to like make him look a certain way. He kind of just looks like a hobo, if we're being entirely honest. He just looks, Mm -hmm. you know, he's disheveled. Yeah, yeah. You can tell there's something wrong with him by the way he looks at people, the way he moves Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But he doesn't need a mask or he doesn't need all this other stuff. You just know by looking at him, you know, something's off. The way he moves is just off in a way that's unsettling. There's just something there. Yeah. It's it's almost like a classic sort of monster movie sort of performance where, you know, the way he moves and the way he reacts to things, that's all you need to sell it. He doesn't have to look a certain way. It's just the way he acts it. And you know what? Thinking about it now, it makes sense because the movie that they're watching is technically a monster film. The Frankenstein film. Because, you know, he's all like, they have them all like monstered out basically. Because he's not just like regular Frankenstein. I think he has like, well, like in the film within the film, they have them all like bulked out and stuff. So it would make sense since the film does technically parallel that one for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Actually, like, uh, something you notice when you watch the movie is the film, the beats of the film, like the acts of the film line up with the acts of the actual film you're watching. The film within a film's acts mm-hmm. line up. Like, when you see the uh, protagonist start to fight back in the mu- in the Frankenstein, sorry, sometimes he's, like, covered in bandages, and I kept thinking he was a mummy for some reason. Like, sometimes, <laughs> like, when they start to fight back in that, they start to fight back in the real movie. Even though things don't go the same in both, like... They line up the axe structure mm-hmm. perfectly between the two. And I thought that was a really interesting way to do it. Also, using the sound of the kills in the movie to mask the sound of his kills is such a brilliant little touch that I loved so much. Dude, I didn't notice that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he I didn't waited, notice he, that. Holy he, shit. <laughs> when he's picking people off in the theater and nobody's noticing, he's waiting for the moments yeah. where people are covering their eyes or the soundtrack is too loud to hear what he's doing. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh man that's fucking dope like i don't know like i noticed they were like around the same time but like thinking about it it makes sense like oh shit <laughs> like, like in my that's favorite, awesome in my favorite sequence when the one teenager uh is kissing uh we'll just call her brooke shields because i'm terrible with character names and i'm i'll just fuck them up if i try he's kissing her uh the two like young adults uh the dude's getting a hand job and there's a kill scene going on. And while that's happening, you see the killer just like walking down the aisles and preparing to do something. And it's all like the sounds of the dude breathing heavily because he's getting a hand job. The sounds of them kissing and the sound of like the killer's, you know, patented Jalo leather gloves holding on to this basically like long spike he's got as he's about to shove it through the two be- the people who are kissing his head. Like it's all lined up between the... Mm -hmm. audio between all these events happening and they all happen in sequence and they all climax literally at the same time 
at the and same time. I thought yeah. that was a Damn, really good sense. use of editing. Like the dude ejaculates, they get stabbed in the fucking head, and a kill happens on the screen or something like that. And it's just that's like that sort of like bouncing back and forth between shots that's sort hard. of editing that builds tension yeah. while at the same time interlocking all the sequences together and it makes for really I mean I hesitate to say beautiful but I'll say it, it makes for really beautiful cinema like that's the sort of thing that people like me love to see that sort of like connection between everything so you just look at it and you just admire the craft while it's happening yeah that makes a lot oh man I, I'm so like tripping about that that's awesome dude um, yeah, because I did notice during that time too, like there was a lot of close-ups with like, um, like body limbs and like the weapon of choice, and like, like um, we would go to the guy that's getting a hand job, we go to his face, to the screen, to the guys, um, to the killers, um, the whatever that was, like long stick. <laughs> I think it was the thing um, yeah, it just, it just kept on shutters going. earlier. You know, he broke off that handle. That oh, like that the makes shutters sense. Down. I think that's what he used in that scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just really done really well, like how you're saying, um, like the audio, the visual, like this is this is cinema. <laughs> yeah, this is cinema. At the same time, like something that's also nice is even though he, uh, the killer uses the sound to cover his kills, uh, Contenti manages to do something very special and he doesn't overdo that style of editing for every kill. Like the first one when he kills mm-hmm. the old man in the theater, it's mostly in the background while two other characters are interacting with each other. Like, you see in the foreground, mm-hmm. you see the two young adults, and in the background, you just see him stabbing the old dude. Like, it's not presented in close-up. It's presented yeah. as far away and slightly, almost slightly out of focus. And it's like, he manages to do these little things that you have a limited environment, a limited cast, and, you know, like, a limited amount of ways that you can kill someone because it's not a supernatural film. And he plays with it, and he, like, tweaks mm-hmm. the formula a little bit, and it keeps the whole thing feeling fresh. Yeah. You know, and we'll say too though we do get a really cool shot when he's killing that old man, where he's using his like little uh, scooper thing, and the camera nice is scoop, inside man. the man's body. Oh yeah, huh? when he's pulling his eye. It out. is. Yeah, I think it looks like an ice yeah, cream scoop like, to me. Isn't it? Yeah, I was like, I don't know what that is, but it has like a little. It, it looked like it. I was like, man, that's pretty smart. <laughs> it's either that or like and, a uh, melon yeah, baller. Yeah, like so the camera is um the what? It's either an ice cream scooper or a melon baller, honestly. It, it has to be one of those two. I mean, because it just, it'll make sense. But um, yeah, so yeah, you, you just get that like really cool shot that's like something from like Gaspar, Gaspar Noé where it's like inside the body and you see like the thing penetrating the hole and like taking it out and shit. And I was like, oh, dude, that's dope. And that was just for, like a quick second too. Oh, yeah, that that was great. I, I was like hooked from that. Like yeah. I was already interested because of the character work and the way they were doing the setup. Mm-hmm. But that sequence, you just go, no, nah, this is, this is something else. We got to watch this. Yeah. Yeah. It's really dope. And, um, and I, I marked it down too. that's our, essentially our first kill. And it's like a half an hour into the film. So just so people can get an idea on like how the pacing really does work in this film. Yeah. And you get a lot of like, uh, in the lead up, you get a lot of character work. Like Anna's only coming in and working the projection because she needs to send her father home who has heart problems. It seems from what they say, mm. Like, he can't work that double shift, yeah. so she's going to take it so he can go home and be, you know, comfortable and not work himself to death. But he's sneaking smokes that he's not supposed to have. And, you know, you get a lot of character work in those opening parts where you learn little things about each one of the characters so that when thing, when shit finally does break out, you know, 30 minutes in, like, you care more. Even though, like, some of the characters are, like, kind of lightly sketched, they're still interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, they're totally interesting. And like I said, like for me, what worked is that these people felt like people that I've known going to cinema all these years, you know what I mean? Like going to movie theaters. Like I've been the guy on the first date there, you know what I mean? Like I've been those unlike those friends, you know, and the little kid. And well, I mean, hopefully I get to be the, the old man later. <laughs> yeah, it's like a full, it's a full theater experience. And then on top of that, you have mm-hmm. a dude eating people's eyeballs and, you know, that drives the conflict and there's yeah. interpersonal character arcs between the group of friends and Brooke Shields and the two people on their first date and like Anna and oh, what's the name of the guy she works with is the guy who like uh, takes a nap and smokes him. cigarette and won't shut the fuck up. What is his name? Uh, let me see if I can find it really quick. Um, and that guy was pretty funny too. Cause like, again, like I've, I've met people like him that work there. Oh yeah. Because I, I remember this one time, um, I think me and my brother, we went to go sneak into um, Scott Pilgrim. And it was it was like probably like a week or two after the film was already out. So we were just there on my birthday. And the guy comes in. He was like, hey, man, you guys got dip." My brother was like, oh, come on. It's his birthday. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, all right, fuck, whatever. He just left. And we're like, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty dope. Um, I want to say, was, was it Esteban? No, that was... I don't know. IMDb doesn't have pictures for them because I'm assuming a lot of these people. I'm not too sure, but I don't know if his internet is just slow or. <laughs> no, it, it's not there. I'm looking too. Uh, I just need to start taking okay, notes yeah. on character names. Like I watched this movie once before we did. Yeah, this same podcast. here. I'm sorry, I guess. I'm also terrible with character names, and that'll become a recurring thing where I'll forget them unless they're directly in front of me, because I usually don't even think about that. And sort I'm of terrible. Stuff. No, yeah, same here. And I'm usually just terrible at pronouncing shit. So, I mean, there you go. Yeah. We got it. <laughs> there you go. But we're still doing this. Um, One thing I did notice, though, was um, I know, like, this is it's probably just because of the world that we live in and stuff. Like, I thought it was pretty cool seeing, well, not cool, but, like, let's see, I'm, I'm trying to see how to phrase this. Because essentially, like, we see the old man coughing in the movie theater and, you know, like, COVID and shit, like, Basically, a cough is like a sign of death, and we're in this movie theater that's like where people are dying, you know, essentially. And I don't know if you remember, like, there's this whole like controversial thing about. I mean, it's still it's still pretty controversial, like going to movie theaters now, you know. And I just thought that was a nice little. Um, I don't know. It was just a, a connection, I guess, that I made. It's still weird to see people doing normal things in movies because I can't do normal things. Yeah. Sorry, I had to take a, a little drink. <laughs> you good? Um, but yeah, um, yeah, it was just a little nice connection scene, and then uh, that's all I can say about that. I don't really want to go forward. <laughs> <laughs> there's not, there's not a whole that's, lot to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do have one last thing I want to bring up, and that's the um, is essentially so like one thing that I like doing when I watch films is like on my notes, I'll write like the opening image or like sequence, and then like the final image, and we get a really good parallel with this one which i we can tie to like the loss of innocence where we see the little kid drop the ball of um gumballs you know in the beginning and that's the scene on comeojos is like just giving him the red the red gumball and he just picks it up and dips and then at the end of the film we see um the little boy who snuck in he's like drenched in blood he's like he saw like this whole massacre we see how he essentially uses innocence of seeing how like brutal this world is because at the end we see just all these eyeballs like falling falling down the stairs and he's just like staring at it and that's like our final frame 
Isn't the final frame just was... one of the eyeballs on the steps, like yes. leading up to the second floor? Uh, yeah, that, that's honestly I... the 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 fact that the film does stuff like that is something that I give it credit for. Like you expect a movie like this to have a certain amount of nostalgia and a certain amount of comfort, but the film kind of takes that from you and being fairly mean with how often it will kill characters that are, you know, like considered main characters, like the girl from the group of group of friends, I mm-hmm. assumed she was going to live until she didn't. Mm-hmm. And like that reversal yeah, of the innocence, that, that's actually a great point. And I, one I hadn't thought of, and I'm, I'm mad I hadn't thought of it because that's great. The gumballs <laughs> in the beginning, and then the eyeballs at the end. That's, that's elliptical storytelling right yeah. there. Like, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, it doesn't get, like, better than, well, it get better, but you know what I mean. Like, um, that's just, like, a really good example of that. And um, I was going to say, yeah, like, we were actually talking about this before recording, and you mentioned, like, how mean this was. And, like, thinking about it now, like, it does kind of make sense, like, just how, like, brutal some of these kills are. Because like, I remember when I was watching this, I was just like, yeah, this is dope. This is fun. And it kind of, like, kind of like how people do with, like, modern slashers, you know what I mean? Like, where you just see a bunch of, uh, I don't want to say modern, but, like, you know, like, yeah, you know, like with like uh, like Friday the 13th or something, like you just go to watch the kill count, essentially. And um, that's what I did with this film, like initially was like, yeah, it's going to be just a fun, like, you know, a fun giallo with a bunch of kills. And that's what we got. But thinking about it now, too, though, like there is a lot of um, like meanness to this film that I didn't really expect until, um, again, like until you pointed it out. It makes it more impactful because the director spent so much time building the characters because we got that first half hour. Like, if mm-hmm. we had dove right into somebody gets fucking stabbed five minutes in, it would have been a very different experience. But, like I mentioned at the top mm-hmm. of this, the pacing is so good. It's so good, and I can't stress that enough. And because we get this slow pace and all these characters that, you know, you kind of end up caring about or identifying as similar people in your life, you start to care about them, even if, you know, like, they're kind of, not all of the characters are completely well-rounded, and that's fine, but, like, you do care about some of them. And then later on, you just watch them all start dying one by one. And it's, you know, it's upsetting and it's mean in the way it's done. And it's, it's gory and wonderful. And it's such a, it's such a precise balance that they managed here. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think you see a lot of. And yeah, for reals. And I will say that, like, I think that's what both of these films do really well is they, they have a very good balance of what they're showing um like we'll we'll get into it obviously with knife plus heart but like yeah like this film does have a good balance and man they did that one the one guy dirty with the glasses like i I figured he was gonna die but i was like why you gotta do him like that man (laughs) (laughs) like like he was just chilling the whole time you know he was just doing his thing like he was actually there to watch his movie and like just hang out with friends get drunk and whatnot and he suffered pretty bad so like man oh yeah he just fell and that was it this likable dude. Yeah. He's just like <laughs> cheering his friend on and trying to be a good friend and trying to have a good time. You fell. Oh, the killer <laughs> knows how to jump over seats. Well, you're fucked. And that's that. You're done. Right. Like <laughs> Something else and I actually yeah, like I just... wanted to talk about that comes in more in the second half of the film is they also know when to linger on a kill and when to just get it done and move on. Because if they had lingered mm-hmm. on every kill in this movie, it would have started to feel a little bit, you know, overbearing, I guess. But instead, it just, yeah. it doesn't at all. Like, some of the people just, they get stabbed in the heart, blood spurts out, that's that, you're done, you're dead. What are you going to do at that point? Mm-hmm. And then they add the meanness with, you know, like the yeah, like taking out the, the eyes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you don't see him take away the eyes off of everyone, but we do see every kill, like with the, um, the one that you mentioned is, what I imagine you're talking about is the lady who uh, who gives a hand up, right? Or she's like, I got I to gotta go do that thing for my aunt when it's like, obviously like 11 at night or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. he and just walks you up see, and like, stabs the quick her in the chest. Zoom in. Yeah, actually, that's true. That's true. And, and actually, the guy in the uh, there are a few. the guy in the uh, in the bathroom after he's going to clean his cum shot off of himself, like he just gets his oh, head yeah, his sm- is pretty quick too. He gets his head bashed in a bit, then he gets stabbed in the chest. It's like I think it almost makes sense in a like natural way where like the killer's realizing he can't get away with this forever, so he starts making them quicker because it's like eventually mm-hmm. someone's going to catch on, or maybe he knows that uh, Anna is starting to wonder you know like what exactly is going on here things seem weird and mm-hmm. it's interesting the way he accelerates his kills towards the end because i think he feels like time is running out yeah and, and it makes sense but when he does get to that i guess his final kill um i thought that was really well shot by the way is when he shoves um the other lady's um like head in the in the film i don't know the proper words but he's like smashing the back of her head and like the blood is filling up the screen, which is like filling up the movie theater screen. I thought that was really cool. And like that death did linger for a little bit. Yeah, that one, that one is definitely great. Yeah, he's sticking her head inside of the part of the projector. And I think it's the hottest part the of the projector yeah. too. Because like, you know, there's oh. this light bulb in there that the gets light and super everything, huh? hot yeah. to, in order to project this and, you know, cast an image that far. And he's just smashing her head into it. Yeah, that is really great. And you can't, ever be upset at a movie where someone gets killed near or on a projector and blood starts to appear on the screen in the front of the theater and you know you Mm -hmm. can't watch a movie like this without thinking of like demons you know lamberto bavo's film where like Mm -hmm. it's another movie that takes place in a movie theater but like this one it it takes its time a little bit more demons is you know like full speed ahead all the time and you appreciate Mm -hmm. that and like you almost forget that something like that could happen where there's going to be blood running down the screen in the front of the theater. And then when it happens, you're like, hell yeah, reference, let's go. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm sure there's like plenty of other references out there going on. And um, like we just scratched like the surface of it, you know? Yeah, because like, cause like in the end, that, this film does just feel like a big old love letter to just just cinema in general, which I thought was amazing to, to watch, honestly. Yeah, though, actually, the more I talk about it, the more I, I like what I saw nice because it plays it so straight at first it can feel a little slight in your head but the more you watch it and the more you see the way Mm -hmm. it's doing what it's doing the more you appreciate it and talking about that has actually drawn more appreciation out of me than i had before we started recording this nice nice yeah i will say the first time i watched it like i said i I think i gave it like three stars on letterbox but i was like i knew you were gonna like it but um like after this this podcast i'd say it ends about a three and a half now like i i really enjoyed it i like i as a re- as a rewatch it's still fun like even that first half you know what i mean the first um 30 minutes like it's still entertaining and like i don't know i, I just i still had a fun with it and it needs to be said that and even though it's a film- slow burn it's not a slow movie like the movie moves at a good pace yes it totally. never, you're never bored you're never fidgeting in your seat or looking at your fucking phone or anything like that like it's interesting throughout and that's a a really good slow burn has that sort of power not every movie that chooses to be a slow burn has that sort of you know ability but this one definitely does Mm -hmm. totally totally that makes a lot of sense well not a lot of sense i don't know i said that i'm sorry (laughs) the beer is getting to apologizing to me oh yeah this is the first time we've ever recorded in the (laughs) afternoon instead of like the morning yeah like early in the morning yeah so now we can have beers and record but yeah, not get so drunk because i don't need now. to be slurring through a whole episode no one would want that it's yeah, not really yeah. like the movie gonna... a lot <laughs> <laughs> the movie's great and just <laughs> it was um, fun. But yeah, you got that's stabbed like, right like... in the head 
Yeah, I don't know if we'll, if we'll ever do it drunk. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if people are ready for that. No, please no. I'll, it'll just be me like proselytizing <laughs> about like random out there shit for hours. <laughs> I'd most likely just be passed out because I, I, I like to sleep when I drink. Nothing wrong with that. That's just my thing. Yeah, I mean, everyone does their own thing, right? Oh yeah. And um, but yeah, so that's all I got. <laughs> that's all you got on this one i don't know uh how long this ended up being because i don't know how long i let this record before we actually started you know recording but we're probably around yeah and i completely forgot to um i'd say so i think so i completely forgot to start the uh, stopwatch i'm (laughs) yeah that's fine we should probably start actually professional you know but it's it's fun to just talk about movies one thing i do want to say is i am uh does uh contenti have any more films as far as I'm aware, you know what? Let me check before I say anything. I want to say he does. But let me double check. Mm, yes, he has one called Muñeco Viviente 5, which actually has a poster. I don't know if you saw it. It was like a, a black and white um, poster, and there was like just a bunch of people in the front. Uh, it, 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 it translates to um, Living Doll, so just to get you an idea of what he has. Yeah, he actually has 12 credits. Yeah, I'm bunch looking, of shorts a and bunch um, of shorts, a co-director. I guess would you would would we call this his directorial debut? I guess since he has a co-director. Well, he and, oh have, no, no, Muñeco Viviente. Yeah, he doesn't know. So this would be his second film, and uh, yeah, I hope he gets more. I hope he gets more because this is a very very enjoyable movie, and it's very interesting actually. The more you talk about it. Yeah, and I think that uh, you give him some more time and some more budget. Yeah, he can make something crazy good out of it. Like I love this, but I'd like to see what he can do. You know, after this, after oh, the experience yeah. of making good. this, what else he can do. So if you're out there, Mister Contenti, uh, please what make more movies for me. Not specifically for me, you know, because you want to. We make will them. gladly watch them. Yes, we will. Just for Astro. Just, just, just for, for John. Just, just for, John. for John Patterson, the most boring name in the universe. Hell yeah. All right. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's boring. Yeah, I've got, I've got a name like a dime store <laughs> novel writer. A little I, common. I understand. <laughs> I understand what I am and who I am. But anyway, I think that's enough for uh, the last matinee for now. If you have anything else to, to say, now's the time. Okay. No, don't you do that to me. No, man, that's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. No, I'm good, man. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to discuss my favorite film of the 2010s, Knife Plus Heart. And we're back from the break. So Mikey picked our first film, so I had to come up with something to follow that with. And when it comes to Neo Giallo, there's none that I love more than Jan Jan Gonzalez's Knife Plus Heart. There's a lot to say about this one. Might go a little long, might not, who knows, but... uh, I'll start with the production info, and then Mikey will read us a plot synopsis, and we'll get moving. So, Knifeless Heart is a 2018 film directed by Jan Gonzalez. It is, the cinematography is by Simon Biofils. Once again, pronunciation. Please let me know if I mess that up. I probably fucked that up. And uh, that's what I'm going to give on this one, and uh, we'll get into it. All right, and same with me. I'm going to give you guys just a log line, because I imagine this is going to be a uh... A pretty good one, because I'm, I'm, I'm hoping John is going to let loose in this film. So, let's do it. Paris, summer, 1979. Anne is a producer of a cheap gay porn. When Louise, her editor and companion, leaves her, she attempts to get her back by making a more ambitious film with the flamboyant Archibald. So, go ahead, John. 
do your thing. That's kind of a weird log line, but I'm good with it. <laughs> I know okay. I, I didn't read it. I didn't read it beforehand, but I was like, all right, whatever. No, it's good. <laughs> um, so, Knife Plus Heart is a neo giallo set in 1979 France um, amidst the gay porn scene, and it is a movie that ever since I first watched it, it has not left my mind. It, like I said earlier, it's my favorite film of the 2010s. What I really like about this film is stylistically, it really adheres to you know what you think of. It is a giallo but it does a lot with that it does a lot with bodies you know naked dead just bodies in general like it does a lot with the color scheme it does a lot with its you know porno version reenactments of the scenes as they happen because the main character on is you know turning this thing that she's living through into a into a porno film as it's happening and that ties back into her character arc basically and you know the thrust of the entire film is tied back to that and, you know, like how certain events don't need to have this sort of thing done to them is, you know, kind of the vibe I get from it because of, you know, what actually kicked off the sequence of events. But at the end of the day, this is also just one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen personally. The way it's shot, the way it's edited, the way it's paced, the way the story moves, the way you get into semi almost supernatural elements at certain points. The music, the fucking music in this film is so good. And the choice at the end and the final dream sequence to have, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma's Love's Refrain play over it, which has become one of my favorite songs ever since I've watched this movie. But when it comes down to it, it's an enjoyable film. And that's something I'd forgotten since my last watches. I sat down and I watched this with... Uh, my spouse and my best friend and we had watched it together before they watched it with me the first time and this film it never gets old and you notice more when you watch it and that's something that rewatchability is a big thing for me when it comes to films that i really love and sometimes when you i watch a movie i really love i worry if the rewatchability is going to be there and it is definitely here and parts made more sense and the structure of the film made more sense and i just can't wait to get into it and this is your first time watching this because i forced you to watch it what did you think? <laughs> I thought it was fucking great too. Like, um, you hit the nail on the coffin where you say the re- rewatchability. Like, I can already tell. Like, I'm gonna rewatch this film a lot just because it's there's a lot you can pick out of it thematically, and there's it's just so visually pleasing. And like you mentioned, like just just um being able to like seeing all these like all this flesh on on screen basically, and then just mixing it with the lighting. And I believe this is. Uh, the sound is from the the score is by M eighty three M if I'm correct right yes you are correct like they they do a lot of the music yeah so just I don't know just all that mixture like Gonzalez really knows what he's doing with this with this film and um, do you happen to know if this is his first film or something like because it's very artful and it's just so much there's just a lot going on here and like I said like this is a film I'm definitely going to rewatch this is not Gonzalez's first feature I believe. No, he directed You in the Night in 2013, which I still needed to track down, but he did a bunch gotcha. of shorts and some TV episodes and stuff, and you can see there's mm-hmm. a vision behind this whole movie. The whole film is just cohesive in oh, what it's doing. Oh, big time, big time. Mm-hmm. You see, and I'm just like so surprised, because like, this is a film that's, like I already said, like it's very layered, and I'm just surprised that like it's it's just done so well, like because like, it, playing it straight, it works great. You know, like playing it, with um like again like <laughs> fun unintended but <laughs> but um playing it um again like thematically and just there's just so much going on here and like 
I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I am going to need your help in some of this stuff because I feel like I may have missed a few parts. But um, so like just thinking, just speaking like, uh, like, le- mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about the music first, because I know that okay. that's something that you very enjoyed, like you enjoyed a lot in here. <laughs> this is is this yeah like i only heard of what m83 had that one big song that came out like a couple years ago so um i saw that that they were on here and i was like all right whatever but oof by the end of this like i i loved every i loved it like so much yeah the music has a lot of like uh, light motifs and stuff that play back throughout the course of the film in different configurations and uh the way in that first sequence um he's at that uh he's at that gay bar the first victim and you know mm-hmm. he's he's doing his thing and he sees a mysterious guy in a mask and I was actually talking to my friend about it and it's like seeing a guy in a leather mask at a gay bar, you know, that actually isn't, it wouldn't arouse that much suspicion, you know, like, Hey, it's a leather daddy. Let's go. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's just something that it makes the film work because it looks like something that you would just see in a situation like that. Cause you know, like it's the type of bar it Mm -hmm. is. And the the shift between like the weird post-punk song that they use at the bar to the score yes. when yes. he when he gets tied up and killed is just wow that is it was awesome it's oh, so man. good and the film has like intense moments of like feedback in the soundtrack and intense moments of like shoegazy style music and it it fits every sequence it's presented with it's 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 the type of soundtrack you listen to and afterwards you go back and you just want to listen to the soundtrack, but you're almost disappointed because without the images, it's just not quite the same. Like it's, it mm-hmm. was made for this film and it feels it like it wasn't felt like it was a film soundtrack that a guy did on commission. It feels like this was a, they sat down and they recorded it per scene and it is just phenomenal from start to finish. And the choices of, included music that weren't composed for the films like the aforementioned love's refrain they're just like pitch perfect throughout the entire thing and uh you know that uh the repeating yeah, series of notes you see during like the more introspective scenes it's like uh, it's like four notes i can't remember it's like you know no it's like three notes well there might be a minor after that i can't remember but like just that that synth line just the synth line by itself and there's a little bit of echo on it it's just like it ties everything back and it makes it just so all-encompassing yeah like, <laughs> the music is really like it's such a big part of it um because like you mentioned how like you try to listen to it and like it's just it's missing that visual and i could see that because i got this film um this another new new jello film from argentina i think called um abracadabra and it's the same thing like i heard I was like, hey, this music's pretty dope and it, i think when i bought it, it came with like a soundtrack or whatever and i was listening to it in the car and i, I do think it's like missing that visual but um this soundtrack though is so much better like without a doubt like this is something i could still see myself like like you said just listening just just as i'm driving and stuff just to make my day more like amazing <laughs> oh ever since i have watched this movie several of these tracks from this soundtrack have ended up into like my screenplay writing playlists every time like they're the sort of thing that like i listen to it and oh, it, nice. it takes me away like love's refrain has been in like mm-hmm. what have i written i've written like 14 screenplays it's been in like the last six playlists for yeah. writing like it's just nice. it does it it's that nice it's that vibe it's that feeling it's just it's sad but hopeful no, but t- noisy and it's just like it's all these things it, it feels like you know like a real life emotion it's not clean it's not one thing you don't feel a single certain way mm-hmm. that's very rare that's more when you're younger i feel like but like as you get older like everything's all mixed together 
and I get that out of the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's exactly what this film is, you know? Like, it's just, it's a mix of emotions, because, like, this is something I want to get into later, but, like, you just see, it's, yeah, we'll, we'll believe it as that for now. It's just, the, it's, like, it's just a beautiful mix. And um, this is going to sound really stupid to say, but, like, this is the first time where I can, like, actually hear the leather in a movie. That makes, because, <laughs> you know, I mean, all these people are wearing a bunch of, like, leather, um, like, attire and stuff. And whenever they move, like, I can hear it a lot. I don't know, it's just stupid, but it's the, the first time that, like, I actively noticed it in a film. Oh, yeah, you can hear the killer's gloves. And for the first two kills, he has that uh, mm-hmm. that that big black dildo knife. And you can hear, like, the rubber on yeah. it and stuff like that. And it's utilized on the uh, sound palette of the film in general. And it's mm-hmm. it has a very tactile feel to it. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And, like, yeah, just the sound production in this is just it's just insane, man. It's it's great. It's great to listen to. And, uh, um, well, like you, like, I honestly see myself listening to some of this stuff, like, just out in, in the world. And before we get a little uh, too far into this, I do want to say something that I didn't expect the first time I watched this movie that is something that's always a wonderful surprise every time I watch it, is this movie can be funny as fuck. Like uh, yes. the porn reenactments that <laughs> yes. she directs of the, you know the murder investigation that's going on when it cuts from her and in being interrogated by the police to the porn police interrogation. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, that was great! I was laughing time. so much. Or like when they're fluffer mouth no, of man, gold, cause... like he's he's doing his job, and some guy asks him, you know, how much are you getting paid for it? He looks up and he goes, "Oh no, I live with my mother. I don't need any money." Yes. <laughs> and you're like, "Oh no, he's just here for the love of the oh, game." Oh, it's just basically. like his face. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Like, and he's such a weirdly oh, wholesome man. character throughout the film, and like when he finally stops really showing is. up because of the, you know like all these murders, like it's it feels like there's a hole mm-hmm. in the soul you feel of the it. crew. Yeah, no, yeah, you really feel his absence because the last time you see him is because he um, it's when uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's when he notices that Anne is making the movie based off uh Carl's uh disappearance, right? I think he has one more scene after like, that because they're. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But he is the first yeah, person um, to be notice yeah. and be upset about Anne's turning this thing mm-hmm. that happened to their friend into a like a porno film. Like he's upset about it because, mm-hmm. as he says, he loved Carl. He's like Carl was beautiful. I can't understand why she would do this, and that actually wraps around mm-hmm. back to the plot later on because it shows like the power that film has over people and like taking light basically of people's trauma is like bad and. Basically, An mm-hmm. spends the movie bouncing between being likable and being really fucking unlikable. Like, uh, yeah, the you you kind of yeah. Let's feel not focus for on her for a little bit because yeah, because she's you know like the main character. She's the protagonist. You like yeah. her and you you know you worry about her, but she seems a bit possessive in the way she's dealing with her ex. And then when she basically when he, when she sexually mm-hmm. assaults her in that like parking garage, oh, that was rough. It takes yeah. a while for you to, you know, like get back on board with Anne as a character because, like, that yeah. is just it, that that's kind of a horrifying scene in and of itself because it's almost like this sort of madness has taken over, and she's doing this thing that she, yes, she probably is. knows she shouldn't be doing, but she's been drinking and she's been doing all this other shit and she just can't stop thinking about her ex, so mm-hmm. she makes a fucking awful decision, and it sticks with you for the rest of the film. It, it hangs over her for the rest of the running time yeah and just that scene alone was just oh man again like so how you mentioned is this a mix of emotions because like you can kind of like see where she's coming from but like obviously i would never do that but it's i don't know it's just so tough to watch and um 
I don't really think I've like seen a film where we see the protagonist commit something like this and we still and this happened like maybe halfway through the film. So we're still following her for a good chunk of it. And like you said, like it just it really sticks with you because it was that was really and it was only what like a couple minutes and it was just still really fucking rough to watch. Yeah, it's 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 really horrifying, you know. It's it's treated as it should be. It's treated like a rape scene and you have the killer mm-hmm. in the background watching it happen too, which adds this other layer of like he's trying to understand mm-hmm. her as you start to understand his motives for why he's doing what he's doing. And in the end in some ways yeah. you feel worse for the killer than you do for Anne because like she did this awful thing and he's doing these awful things, but like his backstory is just fucking awful and yeah, it's um, there's a lot of moral gray area in this film, and I enjoy mm-hmm. that in a movie yeah. where like you root for a character, or you don't root for a character, and then you figure out certain things about them that make them either more or less likable, and it muddies the waters. And this film, and it's about its midpoint, starts to do that very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just start to see people like as humans, you know, like because I mean, yeah, none of us is perfect; we're all flawed, and that's what I like seeing too. It's just like the humanity coming out of this stuff and um i think that's like so one of my favorite things that what this film does is the relationship between like true love and sex and like how it's just it's put in such a positive light and i think that's what makes like this scene of the rape just way more tragic because before that like i forget who she's talking to i think she's talking to the cops and she starts giving on like this i guess little rant you can say about what true love is and like how you can like make it better not make it better but like just the the connection between like being a person and like love and sex and stuff and i don't know it was just, it's just a good mix of um of it all something you mentioned uh, a little bit into that is that the film treats everyone like a human being and that's mm-hmm. actually gets to the core of what makes this film so powerful no but it's not black mm-hmm. and white everybody's got gray areas everybody's granted humanity even like a character like that you don't see all that often like we mentioned earlier, Mouth of Gold, you know, he's the fluffer for the porn shoots mm-hmm. it, but he has a feeling about him and a humanity about him that makes him feel real, like an actual person. And that's actually mm-hmm. uh, brought through in the comedic bits. Like when he mentions that he's not getting paid and he doesn't care about it, it's like this guy's just doing what he wants to do because he wants to do it. And there's a certain, you know, like there's a certain pureness in that. Like even though it's, you know, sexual in nature and stuff yeah. like that, like this man's doing what he, what he wants to do, so why fucking bother him about it? And everybody on the porn shoots is like yeah, and everyone's nice chill. and kind and chill and you know like they all have their issues. Like the second guy who gets killed is um he's a heroin addict if I'm correct. And like but like it never mm-hmm. treats them yeah. like subhumans. It never treats them as jokes. It treats all of its characters like people. And that just makes it more effective because mm-hmm. when you watch a movie like this and you hear this is a neo giallo set in the gay porn industries of 1979 France, you almost think it's going to be a satire or offensive in a way like that. But the way it just treats everyone mm-hmm. the same way is it's just beautiful. Yeah, totally. And like what I like about it too is like this film um it focuses on people even if they're not really related to the story at hand. They give all these characters things to do and ways to feel in a way that makes them feel more well-rounded even if you don't see them often. And because of that, when you get have a character introduced like uh what is her name? I'm talking about uh, the one from Misia. the forest. Misia, yeah, at the uh in the park when she gets stabbed by the killer there. Mm-hmm. It's because she was in the industry 
well, there's no like easy way to phrase this. She was in the industry as a gay man, and then she transitioned, and they introduced her back into the story mm-hmm. because one of the reasons is because you know the killer is killing people from this one particular porn production, and they give her a lot of feeling during those scenes, like when she's basically mm-hmm. reading, uh, uh, she's reading Ans energy you know in the right before the wind picks up and they mm-hmm. all have to leave because it's raining like you can see you feel a lot of tenderness and care from that character and that character feels well-rounded yeah. like in the previous mm-hmm. scene she was talking shit you know about how they used to be your boss but you know not anymore and you know can't pay her enough for this shit anymore and then like you get that scene where mm-hmm. it's like that closeness you know that that friendly closeness between these two people who have known each other a long time and the film has a lot of like subtext like that yeah it's it, yeah like that scene um this stick out to me because we see this um like you mentioned just this tender scene between two people and then she um you know she meets her fate and it was just oh man like it was done in a cool way like it was really cool to watch but man that's it was hurtful <laughs> it was hurtful I, I didn't expect her to go out like that but yeah and it was cool all, at least there's... to see it like you know yeah her death is given more dignity than the previous two she's basically stabbed and she dies mm-hmm. And I think it fits the scene better. Like they have the more shocking deaths early in the film. Like your first death, Carl, mm-hmm. you know, he, he gets stabbed in the asshole with a dildo knife, you know, and that, that gets your attention right off the bat. And the second one, um, oh, yes. the killer uses his dildo knife to face fuck him. And then he like activates the blade while he's doing it. And it comes out the back of his head. Like those are more sensational ones, mm-hmm. but there's this weird, there's this almost sort of tenderness to when, you know, Misio gets killed. That's really, it starts making you wonder about the killer's motives. And it's about that point that things start to change within the narrative. There's less good times, things happening. Things are getting more serious. More people, the bodies are piling up and like it starts to transition the Mm -hmm. tone out of some of the goofiness of the first act and into the second act. Yeah. And then um, again, like this goes back to on because she's still continuing this film, even like after all these after the body count is starting to uh, rise. Yeah, she's single-minded in her pursuit in a way that's unhealthy to her and the people around her. And, like, you Mm -hmm. don't really see the full picture until the end of the film. But Mm -hmm. you get the idea that something is not quite clicking with her. Something's Her understanding of the way things are is different than the way they actually are. Like, she feels owed things, and she feels like, things need to happen a certain way because that's just how it needs to be because that's what she wants, but that's not how life works. Yeah. Does it ever work that way? <laughs> yeah. It's, um, she is a definitely an interesting character. Um, I was going to say, so we're just going to shift gears a little bit. Um, I wanted to bring up. So one thing that I like about what this film does is that, um, it, it has like a voyeuristic, like, lens would you say or at least to me it felt like it um i noticed that when we get that one really cool like shot where she's like looking through a hole i think and like the camera flips and you see like her eye within like the mouth do you remember that yeah 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 that's pretty early on isn't it yeah yeah no yeah very early on and that's kind of where i got that idea there's definitely a gaze at play in here and a voyeurism Mm -hmm. and it's a distinctly queer gaze throughout the entire film like uh, even beyond mm-hmm. that, think of earlier when in the first sequence when the killer is about to kill Carl 
and he has him tied up in the bed and it has a close-up of him just like licking down his spine it's like that sort of sensual voyeurism where you're just watching this happen and like it has those touches Mm -hmm. like that and it also it doesn't do the stalker cam that a lot of giallos tend to do it it doesn't do that instead the camera itself is the eye viewing things in a voyeuristic capacity yeah and you as the audience you know project whatever your interpretation of the feeling of that scene is upon it and it makes for a pretty interesting feeling overall because yeah i'd say a lot of these shots are voyeuristic and you know like the bava argento or de palma sort of way it has that sort of sensual feel even when it's not mm-hmm. sexual you know you could be sensual without being sexual it has an almost sort of like dream haze vibe yeah. to a lot of it exactly yeah like it like another scene that pops up um, with that is when when um, those two people are doing the play and like the camera shifts and you just see the audience of um, all the women. And that's kind of where I just kept on getting that idea that we're like essentially seeing all this at, at hand. And like I liked it too because like this felt like an exploration into a scene that like I had no exposure to beforehand, obviously, you know. So just being able to just witness all this was just really cool to see. Yeah, it's got a really interesting look at a subculture that you wouldn't usually see in, you know, like a like a cishet sort of like mindset. Mm-hmm. I mean, my exposure to these sort of things is different because, you know, I wasn't alive in 1979. But, you know, I've been to gay bars and stuff like that. And as a bi man, I've like interfaced with a bunch of stuff like this. But, you know, it's still different because it's a different time period. Things were different. Mm-hmm. But being able to see those little bits and pieces like threaded throughout the narrative and seeing that sort of representation throughout the film. There's something really wonderful about that. And there's nothing apologetic about the film with it mm-hmm. either. It never feels like the film is ashamed of anything. The film is celebrating these things. And that's fairly fucking rare when mm-hmm. it comes to horror movies and i mean movies in general if you get out of like new queer cinema and stuff like that like genres you wouldn't usually associate and you get it here and you get it in such a like a coherent and like distilled package and you start to see like i imagine if you were Mm -hmm. a straight person watching the movie you could see like the similarities you would see to other subcultures like uh certain music scenes and stuff like that where like it has a certain like code of ethics and it has Mm -hmm. a certain own way to carry yourself and it's just i don't know it's really cool to see it on screen for me yeah, yeah, like I, I totally understand that. I mean, like that's the reason why I started like watching all these like, Latin American films was because I was looking for that representation that I wasn't getting in American, like in Hollywood. So I had to go find it. So I imagine like this is yeah, this was just like the same sensation, uh, the same emotions that you get like when I get to see something like this that like relates to me. Yeah, and you know, just seeing it so out there and obvious is great. Like it's not subtext. It's not that. It's just straight text. It's there. Staring you in the face. Mm-hmm. If you want to watch Knife Plus Heart? It gets it's a real queer movie, and I'll tell you that when I suggest it, and that's when usually people check out. But you watched it, and I'm glad about that. Yeah, I'm I'm super glad. Like again, like this, like this is a film I'm totally gonna rewatch because there's just so much that like I just like I want to know more about. Like um, actually speaking of which, like was so like I got some sort of like fairy tale essence to this. Um, and then you mentioned something too, like how it gets kind of supernatural. Like so, there was like a supernatural. Th- like not twist but like uh like thing to this right like an or, undercurrent or my yeah with the bird that yeah. shows up at every uh death and um <laughs> yeah and then and she get... takes the she takes it and she goes to the person to identify the bird and the man who does it has a like some sort of mm-hmm. genetic defect where he is like turning into a bird basically yeah and it's got all this out that's kind of where stuff. i got that feeling yeah that's right around the like towards the second half of the second act and you get this extended sequence where she finds out Mm -hmm. about the birds and then she goes to the countryside and it's basically divorced from everything else but that's where a lot of the fairy tale stuff you're talking about comes in like when she sees the dead kid Mm -hmm. uh uh, guy favre's uh mom at the cemetery and stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's exactly when i started getting that uh that uh feeling from it 
and then when we get that like final uh, scene where it's just um like all white and that's kind of where it's just like i think this is all like i don't know i, I really want to get your thoughts on that final um part because we will get there. I'm kind of stupid, and I don't think. Um, I, I don't think I got it. No, no, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. I actually like, discussed it. I don't think I like got it too well. I actually discussed it with my friend afterwards, and like, because I think on this rewatch, it clicked with me better than it did previously. But uh, yeah, once you true. get, once they get out and they figure out, she figures out who's who's killing these people. It's a it's a guy named mm-hmm. uh, Guy Favre, who uh, died because well died. He didn't actually die, but was killed technically by his father when he found out that him and his. Uh, friend were actually gay lovers and his father cut off his penis and then set the barn that they were inside on fire and you you realize at this point that there were certain sequences you were seeing throughout the film that are shot in photo negative and you realize that these are actually mm-hmm. memories from Guy instead of being you know like just random like artistic affectations there are memories that he's having during these sequences because later on you get almost the full sequence you know when you see him be castrated and yeah. you also get these beautiful sequences of all, yeah. him and his friend um, uh, Hisham, like discovering, you know, that they're queer and that they love each other, and like this sort of like really pure relationship that they mm-hmm. have, where they're just like laying in a field in France, you know, like stroking each other's hair and stuff like that. And it, it's a mm-hmm. it's a twist on like the, what you've seen to this point, which is a lot of you know like uh, porn shoots and you know clubs and bathhouses and stuff like that. I don't actually think there's a bathhouse in this movie now that I just said it. There's not. Fuck me. But, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. But it's all good. you get these wonderful images, and you get that like that refrain I mentioned earlier. That's like four notes just to send mm-hmm. nothing else and you get those and they start playing over it more often it starts bringing back that feeling and you start to feel sorry for this person because yeah. this, this is someone who was just going through love was horribly mutilated for it and then you find out that the reason mm-hmm. that he's chasing down these particular porn stars and Anne is because she read about this incident in the news and made a porn film about it yeah mm-hmm. so that's kind of and then she's essentially doing this again so it's like yeah again just adding more greatness to end it's showing her kind of callousness towards other people and the way she thinks of them like she thinks of her ex like her property like in the scene where she sexually assaults her ex she's actually saying this is mine this is mine this is mine as she touches different parts of her body and Mm -hmm. it's almost like the film is having her realize she's not the center of the universe and she's not Mm -hmm. you know the protagonist of this story she's just another person involved in it and she can't take that sort of control because that sort of control is not owed to her Mm mm-hmm and that's good <laughs> when Guy's death scene at the end is just so fucking sad like they premiere yeah. her new movie that she made uh as it said in the subtitles what's it called a uh, homocidal though the name the name in french i looked yeah. up the translation of it it means something different but you know they got to play with it for the english oh, okay. subs and i wish i had yeah. that written in front of me right now it was something crazy but and i just had about my mic again sorry uh it's too close oh, to my face. Good, and if I good, turn my good. head real fast, I hit it. And I'm sorry, audience. We'll try to get that <laughs> I out. Just smack it down. Yeah, just no. I don't smack it down because it's on a thing. I just hit <laughs> it, fine, and I'm fine. just like, I'm a fucking idiot. Look at me go. But no, it's, they're 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 premiering their film, and it's her and several of the actors from it. And throughout this entire time, like they're mm-hmm. talking about this actor who's no longer with them called uh, Fuad, and they have this new actor who looks just like him. You know, you know, like the spitting image. Exactly like him, yeah. It turns out, uh, his name is Nans, by the way, the the guy who looks like Fuad. Mm-hmm. And 
while they're doing it, you see the killer in the background. He's not wearing his mask though. He's got like a like a like a neck scarf pulled up to his nose, and he's got like you know a trucker cap on. And at the uh, second floor of this this theater, there's a room where you can pay. You get a flashlight, and if you want, you know you can have a little little hookup. Why not? Fuck it. You know, like gay hookup culture. And uh, he goes up there and he sees him, and then you realize that not only does Fouad, I mean, not only does uh, Nans look like Fouad, they both look like. Hisham, like Guy's original lover. So mm-hmm. Guy follows him up, sees him, has a very almost like breakdown where he's just like whisper saying Hisham because you know like his throat and his vocal cords are damaged from the fire that his father set. Yeah. And then they notice that he's there and that's the end for him. The the culture protects itself because nobody else knows who this man right. is. They just know he's yeah. been killing He's been killing gay guys. He's been killing queers. So mm-hmm. he has to be stopped. Like they bring it upon themselves. Queer culture yeah. has a certain protectiveness because of you know how bad it can get in certain places. And so this person's been killing all these other people. So he has to die. He can't be allowed to live because, according to their perception, he's just been killing queers because he wants to. You know, in some sort of homophobic impulse is what they think. You know, Anne knows the truth, but she doesn't say it till afterwards. Mm-hmm. So the culture protects itself and he gets killed and he gets stabbed to death like right in front of the screen right after the trailer for the film that set him off played. And the dude who kills him just, he seems sad about Mm -hmm. it too. Like everybody seems sad about it. And then you get this wonderful sequence where it plays most of the good footage of the black black and white slash negative images from his memory while Anne tells the story of what happened to him. It never shows their death in this sequence. It never shows the fire. It just shows him and Hisham in some sort of like rural bliss together. And there's something so devastatingly sad about that whole sequence. Yeah, that's he never got it again. It's 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 tough. It's it's that oh, man. That's rough. <laughs> and like and like we said that earlier, because these are well-rounded people and they have yeah. like motives and they have desires and they have feelings. Like it's hard to feel triumphant at the killer's death. You just can't at that point. The film has defanged that joy, that catharsis from you. You don't get it because. Mm-hmm. It's not because he was evil. It's not because of these other things. It was because something terrible happened. Someone made a film making light of his trauma, and he lost it basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that like even his like, re- like I guess you can call this revenge would be is like it's justified. Like he has a reason to be like this angry. And I'm not saying that like him killing people is justified, but like for, for him being this angry, like it makes sense, and you can really feel for just what he's feeling. Yeah, and then we get into the sequence you want to talk about. So describe it for yeah, our dear I, listeners. I, well, as far as I'm concerned, like, because um, this is even this is even like after like the movie ends, and then we see everyone they're in this like black uh, white room, and everyone's just having a good time, and we see on who is um, oh, which by the way, by this point, Luis um, tries to protect on, and she and she ends up dying. So we see on later. Which I imagine is some sort of like I don't even know it's not like a, I don't even know what to call it but I think it's so on and Luis are together again and she kisses her and we see on like the final frame is just her smiling and that's where I'm kind of confused is like so what's going on here <laughs> like all right you want my interpretation um, of this final sequence yeah 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 yeah, okay. yeah go ahead go ahead I may have butchered that anyways but go ahead so the film is shot this sequence is shot all white room 
uh, Archibald, mm-hmm. who is one of the best characters in the whole film, is there. He has yes. goat legs. He's essentially a satyr, a satyr, or a uh, fawn, or something. You know, like some sort of sensual, mm-hmm. supernatural creature. And he's walking through all these people having sex. And a lot of the people are people who are already dead at this point, because you see, mm-hmm. uh, you see, Louis, not Louis, Louis, who's uh, his poor name is, Louis, is, it? is it was it was Jose the Ombre was his porn name. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see all these people and it's just all the sensual, you know, like they're all blissed out. This soundtrack is playing Love's Refrain. And she turns after seeing the scene and you know, you already know something's up because there's already dead people in the scene. She turns and she mm-hmm. sees uh, uh, her ex and she comes up to her and kisses her. And then after she kisses her, she fades into the background until she fades away completely. And then on turns back to the scene and she makes eye contact with Archibald, at which point the music cuts and the lights go down to black, basically. And you can tell what the room's shape is now and you could tell it's not some sort of like big, you know, like it's a room. It's not some sort of like heavenly sort of figure. And the people stop having mm-hmm. sex and Archibald stops looking satisfied and happy. And on and him look at each other and then they smile sadly at each other. And then the film cuts to the credits. Now, what this means to me is after the death of Guy, An thinks everything is going to go back to the way it should, the way she thinks. Mm-hmm. But uh, her ex is no longer there. Her ex is dead. A lot of her friends are dead. And there's nothing. Things aren't the same. It's not a happy ending. We didn't get there. We didn't do what yeah. we needed to do. Nothing here has been good, basically. So the lights cut down. They look at each other and they give each other those kind of like half sad smiles. And it's like, well, it's time to make the best of it because mm-hmm. the actual best is now gone. So it's kind of a like a downer note of an ending. Yeah. It's almost like the realization of her place in the world finally sinks in there at the end, right at the end in that sequence. It's like a, it's like a hallucination Mm -hmm. or a dream. It's just like reflective. It's metaphorical to like her character arc and the state of the world by the end of the film. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now you pointed out like this is all like coming together. I'm like, okay, that makes sense because it does kind of look like they were like um, Archibald and um, Anna were about to cry at the very end, and that's how it's kind of like okay, it's like. All right. Um, would you say that like it's kind of like her trying to learn to love herself, or is that like nothing to do with it? Because there's, because remember in her movie, there's that one scene where she's walking through the white room, and then we see the scene of one of these guys like making out with themselves on the mirror. That's kind of where I got the idea, but I don't know if that's even related or not. <laughs> it could be her learning to love herself. Like I could see that interpretation as being valid. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the film leaves mm-hmm. it open enough where I think there is room to give different interpretations to it that's not necessarily the one i came away with the one i came away with is like there's supposed to be this joy to this ending where this killer is dead but then the reality sets in and it's much more mixed and muddled it all hits yeah jeez yeah that sounds about right oh man and um i guess thinking about it now too it kind of reminds me a lot of like nightingale where like it's just the reality setting in at the very end you're just like damn like like a bittersweet moment i guess you can say yeah, it's definitely bittersweet. It is incredibly so. Mm-hmm. And it, it lets the weight of all the deaths of the film finally sink in. Because like, the, mm-hmm. the film is, you know, like an hour and 40 minutes long. And it doesn't feel, watching it, I took a break after an hour because, like, I had to go to the bathroom. And, like, I paused it and mm-hmm. seen it an hour had passed. And I thought I'd been watching it for, like, 30 minutes. Like, this film fucking goes. Yeah. It's, but it's not It's fast. really quick, yeah is the thing like Mm -hmm. the film takes its time but it never feels as long as it is it's the same thing we got from 
you know, the last matinee where they both take their time and they give the, the sequences space to breathe, but it doesn't feel like it's taking too long and it's not like wasting your time. It, there's always a purpose in a moment that is valuable in each and every scene of the film. Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. They they both really do take their time. And I think that's what I really, really appreciate about these films is that like it's not in a rush to like give you, um, again, like to give you a high body count or anything. Like it's just, it's letting you breathe with its characters. And I think that's what, I think, I think that's what makes like the ending just so emotional too is because you spend so much time with these people and you get to see. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is one of those movies where I don't, I, I don't quite understand why, but like that's, the series of images mixed with that soundtrack and that final dream sequences, like I will like cry a little bit every time I see it. Cause it's like, there's something mm-hmm. so powerful about that whole sequence. Even if I don't know. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, even like, I like, reaction. Yeah, exactly. Like I didn't even know what was going on happened, like towards the end. And, and I, I still feel emotional. Like, like it's, it's obviously there and it's done in a great way. Definitely. And, um, yeah. Um, I do have just one quick little point. Um, I guess to kind of, bring this to a high to a little you know a little happier note <laughs> um did you notice you mentioned you ble- i believe his name was jose that he was speaking in spanish like i'm sure you noticed yeah i did um he's yeah he's the one that dies at the very end um like one of the last kills during the like uh, uh, spanish inquisition sequence <laughs> or whatever they decide <laughs> of course to do with yeah that. yeah because <laughs> it's like religious torture yeah and then he's you know the torture and you're like man you guys are being real ridiculous I right know. now <laughs> I thought that scene was funny, but um, yeah. So that guy, the character, his name is Noe um, Hernandez, and I noticed um, I, 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 throughout the film, I was like, man, this fool looks familiar, and I noticed he is in an, in this Mexican like another like erotic horror film, um, We Are the Flesh. Have you heard of it? I've seen it. Holy shit! I did not put that together. Yes, that's the same guy, and I was just like, wow, that's and it makes sense because it's just another like like. Like I said, it's just like another erotic horror film, and like with just so much going on about like sexuality and like you know what I mean. Like, it's, have you watched that yet? Yeah. Yes, I have. <laughs> Man, that is a hell of a fucking film. That would make a great yeah. one for a future episode. Yes, that that is one I definitely want to bring up later because um I didn't know you watched it, so this is pretty cool now. Um yeah, I just I'm not gonna lie. At first, I was kind of like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I know it's trying to do something, and I really want to like know. So I would have loved to rewatch this sometime in the future and just. And just see what's going on, because man, that that one goes places too. <laughs> yeah, it's another film that uh, has a lot of you know explicit sexual content. I mean, even more so explicit than this one because uh, that one has unsimulated sex in it. But like, mm. you know, it has that artistic quality about it that like kind of takes it takes the erotic away from the erotic. If that makes sense, it's an erotic scene, but it doesn't have you know like a turn on yes. capability to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's not like. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. Without, yeah, luckily you were there to help me. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, thank you, thank you. Before, yeah, I'm just gonna shut up. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's just what I wanted to bring up. Um, so I just was kind of cool seeing him in this film, and I had no idea he knew French. So um, just seeing him like speaking and stuff too was just really cool. Man, I'm I'm looking at his uh his his IMDb now. He was also in 2009's Sin Nombre. No way. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, cool. it's everywhere. Think, I don't think oh, he man. was like a main character. Because yeah, I don't remember in that film. But, but um, yeah, yeah he, like, he has like a very distinctive face. Like that's like when I saw him, I was like, I know I've seen this fool, but I don't know from where. And he's one of those people you, you see him if you've seen him before. You go, I know this man, but from where I'm not sure. Like when we were talking about the Deadlands with the the warrior mm-hmm. in the Deadlands um, himself, and you're looking at him, and you go, I know your fucking face, but where do I know it from? Mm-hmm. Like it's just 
like it's it's a very strong face like you can say like you know it's easily recognizable it's the mark of the character actor oh yeah exactly yeah so i thought he was really cool um but yeah i'm really glad you went over this stuff because again like i enjoyed what i watched but like towards the end i was just like i don't know what's going on here i enjoy it but i don't know what's going on (laughs) you know um don't feel bad about it because the first time i watched it i want to say i almost checked out during the sequences once it got to the bird in the forest in the middle of the film mm-hmm. because like it seems so out of touch with the rest of it but so out there yeah. on rewatches it fits perfectly like it's such a tonal mm-hmm. shift that it can be a bit jarring and i guess you could say that would be a negative but in every rewatch i've seen like it makes more sense it makes more sense to pump the brakes just a little bit right there and it gets a little bit more out there and a little bit more introspective and a little bit more philosophical i guess but it still all ties together beautifully, and I think when you watch it again, you'll you'll see that. But I can understand why by the end of it, you're just like, I don't know what the fuck is going on anymore because that final sequence, yeah. like everything makes sense because you've gotten outside of that sort of like dreamlike, almost supernatural stuff, and then the final sequence hits, and you're like, all right, I'm lost again. What the fuck am I looking and it at? Throws like, you into it. Yeah, I get that. But mm-hmm. the first time I watched it, I felt that last sequence more emotionally than intellectually. Like I wasn't thinking about what it meant. I was mm-hmm. just the I had it, the music playing loud and just I was watching it on a, a good sized TV and I was just lost in the moment basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally understandable. And like I said, like when I was watching it, like I felt the emotions. I just wasn't sure what I was like. Why? Does that makes any sense. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I get it. I get it. Like I said, the, that scene makes me cry, but I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> does like I'm, yeah. I know yeah. what I think the scene means, but why does it like ar- bring up these feelings? And I almost said arouse, but it feels like the wrong word to say. <laughs> For yeah, this film in particular. wrong choice right now. But why does it why does it stir these sort of emotions in me? And like something I really like to do is I like to watch movies that do make me feel a lot, and I can't quite understand why, and try to like work myself back and figure out and unpack and figure out why it does that. Man, you you've said it best. <laughs> I, 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 again, like I really just appreciate you just going over this one completely because I was just like, yeah, like I said, I did the best. Um, I anyways, could. And there's other people out there who really love this film, like. uh what is her name? Ren on Twitter really loves this film. And we've spoken about it like just very briefly together. And like, it's just the sort of film that when you really like it, you really like talking to other people about it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. No, I could totally see that. Yeah. I could totally see that. So um, uh, do you have anything else to add? No, honestly, I could do this forever, <laughs> but uh, we should wrap this up. The recordings at 51 minutes. I'm yeah, pretty yeah, sure yeah. we only spent four minutes before this <sighs> chatting about bullshit. Yeah, um, so let's get to, uh, you know, yeah, let's get to our music recommendations. Music recommendations, yay! Yeah, what's your uh, what's your interlude song, man? What'd you pick in, in between these two? My interlude song is actually going to be "Stupid" by Deb Never. Um, the reason I decided to pick this song is because it is a very good version of like a like a like a sad pop song but at the same time it has that really melancholy vibe that you get out of knife plus heart so because it's a good representation of you know like a certain type of music and it's also a very melancholy take on it i think it's a good counterpoint and a good halfway point between both films and also that song mm-hmm. just it's real good go listen to stupid by deb never yeah that's that's honestly a really good point i mean, a really good pick i remember you showed me that one a couple months ago and then, man like they've been on a repeat for a while what you got? Um, and then the song, yeah. So the song that I'm picking is called um, "Lo Que Se" by uh, Cuco. Um, it, he sings both in English and Spanish, so it's not just strictly a Spanish song. But um, I just like this one because it just like just like just like Les Manny, like this has like a, a throwback vibe to it. Um, but it does have like its modern flair. 
And um and like I told you too, I, I think this this fool's from like from around my um he he's played a lot of house shows. So um I got to listen so I got to like kinda see him uh, do his thing and yeah, it's just I love his like his throwback style with um again with like modern flair and stuff. So yeah. That's why I picked it. Well that's some pretty so, good music uh, right yeah, there. there. It'll be in the playlist by the time you uh hear this probably. Unless we forget and then it'll be uh, like yes. a day or two later. But it will be up there. It will be up there, which you can find on Twitter. Um, which is uh, what is our Twitter, by the way? I think it's the percent, the the ooh, the percent, the heck, <laughs> the the descent pod. So that's our Twitter. If you guys ever want to check it out, but um, yeah, there you guys go. You guys have some music and film recommendations for the day. And if you're listening on Apple Podcast and now on Spotify, uh, please rate and subscribe. Like it really does help us out a lot, and it puts us in front of listeners who could potentially enjoy the show. And you can find me on multiple media platforms at Mikey Prata Jr. And you can find John on Twitter at AstroSlot. And we do have an email under the descentpod at gmail.com. So uh, feel free to hit us up. We'll gladly talk film, anything else with you, with you guys. So thank you for enjoying these films. Thank you for descending into these films from around the world with us. Thank you for being here. Beautiful love who you love. Be who you are. <laughs>